The Guardian. The Guardian has partnered with audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a one-month, no-commitment trial of the Audible service. Audible has over 50,000 audiobook titles available to download. Go to guardian.co.uk slash audible for further details. I'm John Plunkett, and on this week's Media Talk, we look back on an extraordinary week in the Leveson Inquiry. I also have to say that I failed. Well, that may be, and uh, I recognize... I'm very sorry about it. I'm joined by The Guardian's Head of Media and Tech, Dan Sabah, and by Media Guardian reporter Lisa O'Carroll, who were both at the Royal Courts of Justice as Rupert Murdoch, and earlier his son James, took to the stand at Leveson. Later, we'll be talking television with Guardian TV editor Vicky Frost. But first... There's no question in my mind uh, that maybe even the editor, but certainly uh, beyond that, uh, someone took charge of a a cover-up, which we were victim to, and I regret. Dan, that was Rupert Murdoch there confirming what others had long suspected, that there was a cover-up at News International, except that Murdoch was claiming he was a victim of it along with everyone else. He said there was a cover-up at the News of the World, is what he said, uh, and then he talked sort of hazily about that it was sort of maybe maybe the maybe sort of editor level Colin Myler, or maybe at the responsibility of one or two individuals, people who are friends with the journalists who've been there a long time, and then he talked about a clever lawyer, uh, uh, which everyone understood to be Tom Crone, including Tom Crone himself, who, who who said later on that this is a lie. Uh, uh, and, and very much challenged Murdoch's evidence. Look, I mean, sort of within the range of what Murdoch was going to say, uh, you know, he had to apologise in part because this is a sort of, you know, there was a huge sort of criminal endeavour seemingly going on at the News of the World and nobody seemed to know about it and Murdoch didn't find out about it. So he had to acknowledge that. He had to acknowledge that he'd failed and he said so. Uh, memorably sort of saying I failed to uncover it and then paused for what seemed like forever for dramatic effect and I think for Leveson to see if he wanted to just sort of add anything further to that to that bare statement uh, uh, on the other hand he can't admit well I mean let, let's just take it at face value you know he has to acknowledge that you know uh, News International entire case has been that we never quite knew what was going on News Corporation entire case we never quite knew what was going on in the news of the world so he had to sort of say look there was no cover up on my part and that's where he sort of memorably said at one point, um, I wish I'd had a one-on-one chat with Clive Goodman after he'd brought his complaint when he came out of prison, his unfair dismissal complaint, the one where he sort of said everyone was at it. And uh, and he sort of wished he'd sort of got rid of all the lawyers and had a chat with them and found out the truth. Yeah, well, you mentioned that. Let, let's hear that clip now. If I, again, had really got into it, I should have been... I should have gone there and thrown all the damn lawyers out of the place and seen Mr Goodman... One on one, he'd been a, an employee for a long time, and <clears throat> cross-examined him myself, and made up my mind. Maybe rightly, maybe wrongly, uh, was he telling the truth? And if I had come to the conclusion that he was telling the truth, I would have torn the place apart, and we wouldn't be here today. Lisa, what did you make of Murdoch's performance? He, he denied he had any aura or charisma which uh, influenced his editors when that was put to him by the, by the QC. Did he have any aura at Leveson, do you think? Oh, I think it was absolutely, um, you know, it was the event of the... He was the star performer of um, Leveson since it, it launched on November the 21st. But I think he disappointed on Wednesday in a way. Um, James took 
um, the wind out of his sails because of the dramatic Jeremy Hunt revelations and, you know, 163 or so emails between News Corp's PR lobbyist and um, Jeremy Hunt's uh, special advisor, Jeremy Hunt himself. We don't know yet what the full truth is. So on Wednesday, I think, was, there was it was a bit disappointing. But on Thursday, Murdoch was back to old form, you know, a snarly, um, confident, um, slightly confused sometimes, um, uh, um, and there were some there were some fantastic one-liners, um, some awful um, uh, on PC things he said. Like at one point he he referred to David Cameron's retarded son. It was just <gasps> audible gasp everywhere. Um, he also casually repeated Mac the libel that News of the World had committed um, on Max Mosey referring to a Nazi orgy, um, which Levson corrected. Um, yeah, it was it was very entertaining. Thursday. And he had a few barbs at, uh, uh, memorably at uh, Paul Dacre's expense and, and David Yelland and, yeah. and The Telegraph. He was always keen to mention the uh, the texts that Aidan Barclay mentioned at Leveson on Monday between them. Yeah, this was to prove his rather incredible point that he had not entered any Faustian pact with any political party, claiming that had he wanted to progress his business interests, which he claimed he had none, um, outside of newspapers, which you all know is not correct because he has TV, um, um, his bottom line was, look, if I had wanted to progress my interests, I would have constantly, consistently supported the Tories and the Sun because they're more pro-business. And it would have been a lot more credible, Lisa, if he hadn't put in those barbs against the other guys, I think. I mean, he bizarrely called Paul Dacre as unethical, citing a, a quote which he you know, claimed to, you know... He's he completely said, misread. Yeah, completely misread a Paul Dacre quote saying, oh, 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 you know, the commercial interests influenced my editorial decisions, which is not something you'd ever attribute to Paul Dacre, not something he really said, except in a very, very narrow context about uh, about the Daily Mail's opposition to the um, to the B-Sky B bid. Was he genuinely confused there, or was he just being mischievous? No, I mean, he, what he, was being, he was being mischievous, and, you know, he had a pop at the Telegraph, as you mentioned, over their sort of initial failure to report the Vince Cable war on Murdoch quotes. You know, and, and, and so he sort of tried to paint this rather unlikely picture, drawing up what Lisa's saying, of sort of somebody who, oh, we never do any deals, you know, we never trade political influence for Our newspapers never for promote favors. our interests. I never but, ask my newspapers to pr- promote But everyone Skype. else does. And, uh, well, as you mentioned, I mean, in, in one sense, it was a, a succession of denials. Uh, he denied he knew the extent about phone hacking. He denied he used his, as you mentioned there, he used his papers for commercial gain. He denied trading favours with politicians. Um, Dan, did, I mean, the bottom line is, did you believe him? <laughs> I, I think you really struggle to believe him, and I think uh, you know one of the issues was that 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 Murdoch sort of gives all this testimony, and then there are so many people sort of coming out of the woodwork and saying no, that's not true, or that, or, or this isn't true. I mean, Harry, Ever, you know, Rupert Murdoch sort of had a sideswipe at Harry Evans, said he'd never read Good Times, Bad Times, and then said. He, Evans had come into his office and sort of asked Rupert for political guidance and I won't tell anyone. And then Harry Evans sort of had a go, sort of said that Rupert really couldn't remember anything about that year and was accused him again of sort of fabricating and that Rupert would have a good good chance working at Fox Gordon Film. Brown, yeah. Gordon Brown denial. Um, yeah, and there was a big dust-up over uh, between Rupert and Gordon Brown and quite a serious sort of matter either way actually Rupert says that Gordon Brown and he stuck to it he said it over both days Rupert says Gordon Brown rang me after he'd learned that the son was going to support the Tories and sort of declared, threatened to declare war on, on my company says Rupert Brown says no such phone call took place uh, uh, now then Rupert released some correspondence between the two and, and there's a letter from Brown which appears to show there was a sort of an understanding between them about Afghanistan they'd spoken says Brown sometime around November and, and then Brown sends a letter in April 
just in the general election campaign, April 2010, saying, well, we spoke and you, you said you wouldn't criticise the Afghan war and here you are criticising the resourcing of the soldiers. And Rupert writes back and says, well, we are, we agree with the mission, the war in principle, but we don't support its management. And Gordon's very unhappy by this. So, I mean, you know, there's Rupert saying, well, we don't, you know, we don't have this kind of sort of, you know, Faustian back, this is, we don't trade sort of favours for influence. But Gordon Brown seemed to think he was in that game. I mean, maybe that was Rupert's point, but that's certainly what he, he the Prime Minister said, thought. Murdoch said, um, in, you know, he's been asked about the blackmailing of a, a woman who had been at that orgy. Um, and that's Max Mosley, isn't Max it? Max Mosley, yeah. yeah. And he said, uh, well, you know, it's just, it's happens, you know, everywhere. You scratch my back, I scratch yours. And then Jay Interception said, well, you, you seem to be claiming yesterday that that wasn't the case when it came to politicians. Which is it? That was one. Of, <clears throat> yes, that was one of the great exchanges, wasn't it? Yeah. Where uh, you felt that um, the sort of Murdoch's temper was kind of shining through. That only happened once or twice, but uh, it really kind of turned the heat up. Well, that was one memorable exchange, and, and, and this is another. We were mobbed by journalists and paparazzi. Mm. I had a microphone stuck in my mouth, said, what's your main consideration? And I said, her here. Are you <laughs> suggesting, Mr Murdoch, that uh, this pack of journalists and paparazzi were acting in any way inappropriately? I think it's part of the game. And what's the game? Harass people. Yeah, I mean, I was being harassed. I was trying to walk all of ten yards across the street. And Dan, this was very much the biter bit, wasn't it? Um, Murdoch unintentionally highlighted one of the very things that, that the Leveson Inquiry has been set up to investigate, the way that the, the media can, you know, harasses people in the public eye. I suppose he did, he, he did up to a point, but I think he also acknowledged it was part of the game. And I, and, and I think to be... You know, to be fair to Rupert, you know, Rupert, Rupert doesn't sue. He's very relaxed about a very broad range of debate about him. I think he talked about one point about his rivalry with Piers Morgan and how Piers Morgan, I think, put a put Rupert on the front cover in the mirror uh, uh, with horns coming out of his head. Um, can't say I remember that, but, you know, let's go with it. Uh, 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 and so, you know, I think... What Rupert was trying to say was he's a little bit sort of discombobulated by all the photographers and said something which didn't look very sensible about Rebecca. What's your top priority, Rupert? Here we are, you know, the height of the Millie Downer hacking furore. And he points to Rebecca and says, she's my top priority, which is a very curious thing to say. Uh, uh, so I think he was trying to offer a plea of mitigation as regards that, not as regards the activities of the paparazzi, who I think he's pretty relaxed about. I, I thought, however, that it raised an interesting point, this question about the paparazzi and about the whole process of Levison. Because if you remember, Levison had this absolutely sensational evidence in the first two weeks from, uh, you know, a ton of celebrities and public figures who had been hounded by paparazzi who worked undoubtedly for all the tabloids. And I found it curious that Jay didn't draw on any of that evidence and say, look, um, Sienna Miller said this or um, uh, J.K. Rowling said this and didn't put any of the examples of the Levison inquiry to heard directly to him. I mean, that was that was strange. Yeah, I think there was a comment from Jay, or it could have been from Levison, saying that we were going to return to that, but then they didn't. They didn't seem to come back to it. Uh, well, you mentioned uh, Robert Jay there, Robert JQC, the, the inquiry's lead counsel. Uh, Lisa, this was his big moment in the sun, as it were, or big moment against the owner of the sun. Um, how did you? How did he do? Well, he certainly enjoyed it. Um, in the we were in the annex, 
And um, it was almost like watching Big Brother. You got the feed, the TV feed before everybody else did back at their computer screens. And um, on the second day, he was there 20 minutes before on his own. The um, News International lawyer wasn't talking to Roger Davies. He had his hand on ha- his head in his hand. But he's really enjoying it. And um, he went up to Murdoch afterwards, shook his hands. They shared a joke. Um, after the first day, the same thing. Murdoch went up to him. It was a bit of a love-in, really. Um, I thought Jay. I thought Jay did well, but he did better with better with James. I think. Um, I, I thought there wasn't follow through on quite a few of the questions on the detail, in a way that he has. You know, he he had great detail about Murdoch's forty years. He had read all the right books and all the rest. But when it came to the specifics of what's happened in the last few years, the phone hacking, he he, he didn't he didn't he didn't nail him. He didn't lay a punch. I don't think really. I don't, I don't know. I, th- I think you're you're right. Jay, Jay had a very good Tuesday. He had the right way of approaching James Murdoch. You ask a, a sort of an aggressive question, but in a sort of calm voice, and then James Murdoch doesn't sort of get, you know, doesn't get cross with you. And I think he got, he, he covered a lot of ground with James Murdoch. Um, James Murdoch didn't give too much away, and he was quite resilient. I mean, they went through all these endless Fred Michelle emails, and, and James Murdoch was quite resilient, I think, on that, saying that as far as I'm concerned, this is lobbying. I think you're absolutely right. On the Wednesday, Robert Jay was seemed to be sort of struggling with Rupert, and Rupert's kind of tough to sort of. How he, he's very you know tough to kind of interrogate because he's very discursive, sometimes rambling, or it's not really clear what he's going on about. You, you know, he it takes a long time for him to sort of work out a thought, and so you want to let him talk, but then the kind of net result of that is. Uh, uh, he's hard to sort of interrupt and disrupt. <clears throat> I think Jay did a better job on Thursday, and I think mm. Rupert came across. Uh, and there were, and although again, if you listen to all of what Rupert says, it's a little bit meandering to say the least. But the quotes were all there, you know. And Rupert talked about, I don't know, the news of the world being a blot, affair being a blot on his reputation, for example. And 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 there were just lot, you know, so many important exchanges and he did extract that quote about cover-up you know I think there was a cover-up but in terms the world. of the, the, the questioning questioning of him and politicians <coughs> he, he just I mean it's just unbelievable that Rupert Murdoch did not discuss the times with Margaret Thatcher I um you know loathe to say that he lied on oath I'm not saying that but you know I think we all think that Murdoch's you know embrace of um various prime ministers was there for a purpose it wasn't just because he likes listening to um, entertaining, as he called Alex Salmond, or, you know, likes the family man, David Cameron, or, you know, enjoyed a 40-minute conversation with Tony Blair in Iraq was never once mentioned. Um, I don't think he nailed him on that at all. As Murdoch said, that meeting with uh, that infamous meeting with David Cameron on the yacht with uh, James Murdoch uh, on, uh, I think it was Elizabeth Murdoch's yacht, was it, when he was flown over by Matthew right. Freud? But that kind of meeting, was, it's all part of the democratic process. Mm. Well, that was an extraordinary quote. And, and the whole thing, we, we, we could have certainly heard more on that. Rupert Murdoch was terribly glib about that. He sort of said he couldn't really remember it. You know, if, I think it was 2008, but Cameron seems to have made no impression on him. Well, that was certainly what how Rupert started. Uh, you know, a very standard bit of Rupert shtick, by the way. You know, uh, you know uh, who is this person? Oh, I've never heard of them. Or uh, who's Anne Diamond? Or who's David Yellen? I mean, he seemed to be very... He would affect sort of disinterest in, in, in a lot of people. Yeah, but, why would I be told to Tony Blair about Iraq? But, but for such a sharp and astute man, I sort of thought, you know what, you, I, I, I know you know a lot. And, and when pressed, he often sort of... When when Jay asked the right question, he'd suddenly reveal that he did remember X or Y or Z. He couldn't remember who Anne Diamond was, but he could sure as heck remember who, that her butler had told a story about about his view on her, and 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 he could have a put down for the butler too that he kept the house clean. So on Santorini, this visit to Santorini, I mean, we sort of 
uh, the detail, but Rupert sort of couldn't remember very much and kind of been prompted by Elizabeth Murdoch. And Cameron went all to all this trouble and flew out, flew out there and sort of prostrated himself before him. And the old mogul bah, seemed to be very meh about it all. And there was the other exchange on Jeremy Hunt, who we now know did meet him. But um, talk about being damned by faint praise. He had zero recollection of meeting Jeremy Hunt. Didn't know who he was. Rupert wasn't the only Murdoch appearing at Leveson this week. His son James was there on Tuesday, as you've mentioned, and uh, his evidence was all about his advisor Fred Michel and his contact with Jeremy Hunt and the Culture Secretary's office. Um, Dan, the fallout from this is going to run and run. It feels like we're only at the beginning of this particular story as far as um, the Culture Secretary is concerned. So News Corp has amazed everyone and released 163 pages of emails and communications pertaining to the to, to the sky bid, um, uh, 98% of which were emails written by its public affairs Supremo uh, and James Murdoch appointment and ally, a chap called Fred Michel, and uh, uh, and it sort of gives a blow by blow account of Michel's sort of manoeuvrings behind the scenes. Firstly, to try and win over Vince Cable, who's deciding on the sky, but Cable's not having much to do with it, and lobbying Cable is a is a right right chore, and they have to sort of find friends of friends who, who know Liberal Democrats. Uh, 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 and then it suddenly switches when Cable sort of blows it all, or is revealed to have blown it all by declaring war on Murdoch as the. BBC revealed, uh, uh, and so then the, the, the you know the decision passes to Jeremy Hunt, and then suddenly there's just this incredibly intimate relationship emerges, and uh, uh, you know Michelle's been lobbying Hunt already, and he can't believe that Cable referred it to Ofcom on public interest grounds, and Hunt is sort of saying, you know, I'll do what I can, and then and this sort of goes on, I think, and, and then we get into sort of January where it's a really important time for really important time for the sort of decision-making process. And Jeremy Hunt's got to decide whether to refer this thing to the Competition Commission or do a try and negotiate directly with News Corp to take an undertaking in lieu. Now we learn this is spinning off of Sky News. We didn't know that at the time. And Hunt's kind of saying, I sort of, you know, I need help with this process and I need, you know, you guys to find, you know, writers to write supportive op-eds so there's a nice balance of media opinion so I look like I'm in the middle of the spectrum of opinion i you know he he's he, he, he's providing details of a key meeting that hunts had with uh, ofcom's boss ed richard sort of is you know leaking to news corp later that day uh, you know, it goes on then there's a sort of they they get tipped off news corp gets tipped off fred michelle gets tipped off on a, on the key parliament initial parliamentary announcement you know this is what we're going to say we're going to say that we're you know, we might be minded to refer to the CC, but we're going to have a com- continuing dialogue with News Corp. Can you help us draft up the language, they say? Uh, you know, an incredibly intimate relationship is shown between uh, between Fred Michel and what appears to be Jeremy Hunt, although it seems to have been successfully pushed back to Adam Smith, uh, Jeremy Hunt's special advisor, and that was really where the communication was going on. And uh, you mentioned here there Adam Smith, who's the, uh, the SPAD, uh, the special advisor who's resigned, uh, and now Hunt said he's going to disclose uh, the private correspondence relating to the B Sky B deal. Uh, Lisa, this is very much kind of what well, Hunt's fighting for his job, isn't he? He's clinging on here. He is, yeah. And there's talk this morning um, that, you know, although Adam Smith has resigned, and even if the emails show that there was no communication between Jeremy Hunt directly and anybody in News Corps, that um, he's broken the ministerial code um, because ultimately he's in charge of the behaviour of his special advisors. I don't, I don't, I don't see how he can survive this. Uh, well, they, they mean the Hunt's most senior civil servant. Um, he had what you might call a, a Michael Howard moment uh, in front of a select committee uh, this week when he refused ten times to confirm or deny his alleged role in allowing Adam Smith to, to speak to Fred Michel. That's right, and, and and I think look, the key to this saga is is you know what we pick up 
is, is a lot of behind the scenes unhappiness um, uh, in conservative and Lib Dem ranks with with sort of Hunt's intimate relationship with News Corp as as, as purportedly shown by these emails, and uh, and some really and some real disquiet at sort of official level, you know, regulators, civil servants, ex-regulators, these kind of folks as well. And I think the question will be is, well, are, are these people prepared to sort of make that public and how strong are they prepared to go? And I think we saw Simon Hughes on Question Time do so um, uh, on Thursday evening. And I think if there's sort of, you, you know, if there's a lot more like that, then the prime minister's got a problem because he's got to start thinking about, uh, you know, can I hang on, you know, can I hang on to my minister? Because what Hunt's been trying to do is say, well, let's let, get the Levson inquiry look at this. Let's get the Levson look at that. And Hunt was hoping to expedite that and maybe that would happen even, I don't know, next week. And, 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 you know, Levison's running their own process. It's a different inquiry. It's about the press. And Lord Justice Levison's not having that. And Jeremy Hunt will come when he comes, which is, you know, sometime in mid-May, even in June. <clears throat> the question is, will he be in office by then? Uh, and at the same time, it's not a good time to lose your minister responsible for the Olympics. That's right, yeah. There was a suggestion that he could, he could, like Vince Cable, be stripped of a role. You know, remember, Vince Cable retained his responsibility portfolio as business secretary, but lost responsibility for the B-Sky-B um, bid. So um, there are certain people in, in sport who think he may retain the Olympics role. Um, difficult to say. Uh, and Dan, there's no Leveson next week, but there is the Select Committee report into phone hacking being published. Yeah, which is all about really what they're going to say about, in particular, James Murdoch and, and, and you know, who, who, if anybody, misled Parliament, you know. And, and, and this is going to be very politicised. Uh, the committee is, you know, split on Tory Labour lines. They, the Tories certainly think that James Murdoch was guilty of being a bit incurious, I think, but not that he was in any way uh, participating in a cover-up. And I think Labour want to be tougher on James Murdoch. And I don't even know if we're going to get a unified or agreed report, frankly. I, 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 I would be so surprised, because I think they've got to get it out uh, in the first couple of days next week. I'd be so surprised if they can get unanimity. OK, we can read all about that, uh, along with all things Leveson, at mediaguardian.co.uk. I'm joined now by The Guardian's TV editor, Vicky Frost. Hi there, Vicky. Hello. And now it's, uh, we talked about last week about the uh, Viewers Award, I think, at the BAFTAs, but now we've got the, uh, the BAFTA nominations proper. So uh, who's top of the pile? Appropriate Adult is uh, top of the pile, which I think is quite well deserved, actually. Um, this is the ITV drama about uh, Fred West. Yes, with uh, Dominic West and Emily Watson in it. Um, they have three nominations, uh, Best Actor, Best Actress and uh, Best Supporting Actress. And a fourth, I think, actually. And, yes, and then they have a sort of a Best Miniseries as well. Um, and I think it's I think it's pretty good that they're top of the pile, actually. But, I mean, they are quite an interesting set of nominations. Uh, there are Interesting, you mean controversial? You mean there are some big hitters missing out? Well, there are. I mean, uh, X Factor doesn't get a nomination in entertainment, which seems slightly odd, given that it was such a successful year last year. It feels slightly willful not to include them, it feels. Um, and Sherlock doesn't get... Sherlock gets uh, actor nominations, but it doesn't get a Best Drama nomination in either serial or miniseries, which to me seems slightly off. That doesn't feel quite right to me, that it shouldn't be in there at all. Um, And Downton just gets one. gets one nomination for Maggie Smith, and it doesn't get anything else. Although I think, arguably, given how awful bits of Series 2 were, 
Um, that's fair enough. Other people have slightly got their knickers in a twist about it. But I think it wasn't that great. The Christmas special was very good, but the rest of it wasn't so much. And, the, you know, the TV drama of the sensation of the last 12 months, Call the Midwife, uh, only gets one nod as well. Yeah, I know. That's sort of... Yeah, that's slightly odd. I mean... Uh, Is this BAFTA trying to be a bit quirky and sort of a bit cooler than school, do you think? Well, I think BAFTA does tend to be fairly elitist. And I think, you know, I didn't I didn't much like Call the Midwife. I wouldn't have nominated it for uh, sort of in a drama series kind of thing. But when you look at what it's against or what it would have been against in drama series, then you do slightly call it into question because, you know, Spooks is nominated in there. And I know it was its final series, but really it was a load of old tosh by that point, you know. And it should have been put out of its misery perhaps before, much as I love it. it you know, it One really, for the box set there. Yeah, <laughs> it really shouldn't still be in there. So, um, yeah, they're, they're slightly odd, I think. So who else is there? Who else is there? Who's in the, who's in the funny categories? By that I mean uh, comedy and entertainment rather um, than, you know, <laughs> odd categories anyway. Um, Olivia Coleman gets a nomination, but oddly she gets that for 2012 uh, rather than for Rev, which is a slightly strange sort of situation, I think, given um, I thought Rev was, she was better in Rev actually, and also it was sort of higher profile. Rev does get a nomination in Best Comedy, and so does Tom Hollander, which will please lots of people uh, because it's great, basically, and I, I hope it does very well. And besides from the Fred West drama, I think two shows got three nominations each. Uh, One of them was uh, This Is England on Channel 4 and Sherlock, what you mentioned. Yeah, This Is England has got nominations. uh, For Vicky McClure is uh, nominated again in Best Actress, which uh, I know Emily Watson took it at uh, the RTS Awards, but I would imagine Vicky McClure is in with another shout at it again this year. Um, And also they've got they're they're nominated in Best Miniseries as well as in Best Actor. So I wonder if a next year's awards, Grandma's House, will be nominated. This is the uh, the Simon Amstel uh, sitcom on BBC Two, Vicky. Yes, uh, which quite divides people, I think it's fair to say. I am a fan. Um, I really liked it last year, but I think this year's is better. Um, I liked it as it was, but this year's really is great. The first episode was fantastic. I mean, quite meta. There was, you know, quite a lot of references to Simon Amstel's sitcom to Simon Amstel, who's playing a version of Simon Amstel. You know, it's sort of, if you think about it too hard, it sort of makes your mind melt a bit. But um, yes, it's back. I think it's great. And I think this series is actually even better than the first. And new to BBC4 last weekend was uh, The Bridge, which um, outkilled the killing uh, with a a million viewers, which is... um you know, Scandinavian dramas are, are, are big on BBC4, but this is the biggest yet. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it, how that audience just keeps on growing. Um, and it feels slightly like um, The Bridge isn't necessarily the one I'd have thought would have done that million viewers, but I suppose that's just sort of snowball effect of the more you have and the more they talked about and the more they attract uh, viewers. The more likely they end up on Sky Atlantic. <laughs> or what would this be, Sky Nordic or whatever? Sky Nordic. I don't know, I might pay for that. So, uh, yes, this is the bridge that came to BBC4 very successfully last week. Um, interesting reactions to it. I think lots of people uh, initially liked it more than I did, which, uh, given... Uh, that I seem to be some sort of um, correspondent on Nordic TV is a bit odd, um, and I've just and I've seen uh, this week's this weekend's episodes, and uh, I'm liking it more. I think as it goes along, it's quite fast. Um, it's a much faster pace than we've seen from the Nordic dramas so far, and I, that which slightly threw me. I think it was a bit like crikey, what's going on? It's not going to be ten hours before we find out the next bit, the next clue. Um, 
really good performances from the central characters. I still find it a bit heavily written, if I'm honest, and she's a bit too quirky. It's underlined too far, I think. But um, equally, it's quite a good yarn, and I, certainly I'm quite gripped by it. Well, I'm watching The Killing too, so I'm up there. Uh, you know, I'm not exactly on the riding the zeitgeist here. But well, uh, well, I don't know. The Killing's just about to come back to Channel Four next week. Actually, the US Killing comes back to Channel uh, Four, so maybe you could sort of that second series. Although I, it's the second series of the US one, but it refers to the first series of the of the Danish one. Oh so my head! <laughs> the Killing too. I like the like the body and the bridge. I'm divided over the Killing too. Lots of people uh, were. Yeah, lots of people have been. The Minister for Justice is possibly the the least appealing character I've ever seen on a television show. I'm only two episodes in. I think if you stick with it, you'll be uh, pleased. All the political stuff is actually quite. I think the political stuff's the most interesting thing about it actually. And then of course it sets you up nicely for Borgen, so you can try and get up to speed with it all, John. <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to the Borgen Schmorgen. Um, Vicky Frost, thanks very much. Well, my thanks to Dan, Lisa and Vicky. You can leave your feedback on anything and indeed everything you've heard on the Media Talk blog or our Facebook wall. Keep up to date with all things Leveson and whether Jeremy Hunt is still in a job at mediaguardian.co.uk. I'm John Plunkett and Media Talk was produced by Jason Phipps and Peter Sale. Last word, if that's what we can call it, goes to Gary Neville, who came over all excited on Sky Sports this week. Thanks for listening. The Guardian has partnered with audible.co.uk to offer listeners a free audiobook when you sign up for a one-month, no-commitment trial of the Audible service. Audible has over 50,000 audiobook titles available to download. Go to guardian.co.uk slash audible for further details. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.